Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. We come into one of the most powerful passages in terms of the potency of the feelings and affections, feelings or affections that are flying throughout this. Uh, in chapter 11, uh, it is rivaled perhaps only by a few other passages, that being um, the cleansing of the temple. You know, I didn't expect that one. Uh, Gethsemane and the cross itself, uh, where we see the intensity of our Lord and Savior, that he, like us, had uh, uh, feelings, he had affections, that uh, he uh, exercised, sometimes in anger, uh, and in the uh, righteous wrath against the, the marketplace that, had become, that the temple had become, um, in the cleansing of the temple, uh, in, in the agony of Gethsemane, and the contemplation of what is to come, and uh, all that in, was involved in that. And then also uh, in uh, the agony and the, and the relationship between him and the Father at the cross, uh, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, and asking a question that we sometimes might find ourselves engaged in, of what is God doing in my life? And so we find Christ sharing these very strong affections that we uh, participate in, and this is uh, one such instance in, in response to what he saw going on. And many will come to these paths to this passage at the end, last half of the or last middle middle third of the chapter eleven of John, and uh, see well God Jesus Christ is responding to the death of Lazarus, and I really contend that that is not what's going on at all. That that is not what is soliciting these very strong, passionate response of Christ, where we have this one two letter verse that says Jesus wept but rather it is something else that is drawing this uh, tenderness out of him, of recognizing the, the, the great agony that others are feeling, this, uh, that moves him to this. And, and John speaks of this. And we're, let's go ahead and read some of this portion of Scripture. We looked through his interaction with Martha last week, and we now come to his interaction with Mary the other sister of Lazarus, and then also his relationship with the other Jews that were there uh, to assist them in mourning. Remember, Lazarus has been in the grave now four days. So we are um, at a point that you might say, well, why is the mourning still going on? Um, but this was very common, the concept of having a one-hour service as a funeral um, is a pretty modern one. Uh, even uh, we still have some remnants and some aspects where we have wakes and things like that. Uh, but back in the day, it was not uncommon for it to be a week of mourning together and the loss of a beloved one. Uh, and, other, and then if it is someone of a national importance, sometimes several weeks of mourning as a nation and, uh, or as a society. And so it should not surprise us to see this is still the condition. Let's pick up in verse 28 after Martha's wonderful declaration of faith of, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. You are the one. You are the Messiah. You are the one we have been waiting for. You are the one in whom I will trust. You are the resurrection and the life. 
And so my trust is fully in you, and I am not going to be dissuaded by that no matter what happens. And much like the testimony of Job, though the Lord strike me, yet I will serve him. I will follow after you no matter what the conditions of life bring against me. And Martha becomes a wonderful example for us of of responding to Jesus Christ. And and we might say, well, uh, Jesus didn't handle her as tenderly, but yes, he did. Um, Sharing with her that the future of Lazarus, the immediate future, that he's not going to stay in the grave, uh, he already knew it was happening, and so it's obvious that his weeping that he will see later on was not because Lazarus is dead, because he's already declared from the very beginning when he heard that Lazarus was sick, the sickness isn't until, isn't until death. He shared with his disciples, I'm glad that he is dead for your sake, so you can see the power of God and believe. And he's shared with Martha, your brother isn't going to stay in the grave. He's, he's, he's going to rise again uh, as soon as you let me get to his grave. <laughs> The only thing inhibiting that is you coming to me uh, and slowing me down, if you will. So you has been tender to him and and sharing with her the the hope of the future and her mind as to the last day, but he has been sharing no um, even today, if you believe. And she makes that wonderful declaration of faith. We come to verse 28 and we come into a very unsettling situation It says that when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. There's no other way to do it secretly than to whisper. She is in a home that is pretty much filled with people that are there to help her mourn. They are there to care for them and to cry with them. And in fact, in some instances, there are professional criers that that's all. They went to funerals just to make sure you had enough people crying loud enough to show that was an important person. So you would hire them to go and, and bewail that, their death. Um, not likely here um, because of the circumstances. Um, but so she comes in. Teacher has come, is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. So we know what Mary has been doing for a while, right? She's been weeping before she was interrupted by Martha. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. So I'm going to stop right there, because this is the engagement that is wrapped around this very powerful passage where we identify Christ as associating with those weeping over the loss of a beloved one. But I would contend with you, as I've already said, he is not weeping for Lazarus' loss because he knows that that loss is temporal, even 
if there were no resurrection, that hour. The words of Martha are still ringing true, and that is, Lord, there will be a resurrection at the last day. And thus, in the believing community, every loss of this life means that we gain the life to come, and we, and we have some level of joy in recognizing that process of traversing from this decaying self, and if you don't think you're decaying, you just haven't gotten over 40 yet, and then it just accelerates. It's like, where did I go downhill so fast? Well, it started earlier. It's just a little less of a decline, but it started a lot earlier, probably when you were uh, like two. I know you think you're growing, but it's still, you're already into the decay. And so we come into um, a knowledge that there is a future resurrection, so our, our weeping should not be like that of the of the. Uh, unbelievers and the bible tells us to that that we don't we don't mourn like them does that mean there is no tears or are no there's no crying well we they are but they are hopefully very selfish ones because we recognize this person is, is in a far better condition now they have taken off the clothing of this mortal and put on their immortal now if there's any place for weeping is when we are not confident of that fact about people and when I cannot stand up at a funeral and declare without reservation they are in the presence of Jesus Christ, of uh, our Lord and Savior. And there is no more difficult funeral for me to do than those. And in that instance, I weep. They weep. And they ought to because there is no further opportunity to share Christ with them, and no further opportunity for them to demonstrate that they are followers of Jesus Christ to us. And so I've had parents come to me after a funeral, you, you weren't very, you know, he was baptized. I said, there was nothing in his life that I could point to to say he's in the presence of God. Let that never be the case for your funeral. That the one who presides over has to say, I didn't see evidence in their life that they were followers of Jesus Christ sufficiently to give their loved ones who are, who are grieving that loss confidence that there is a joy, that there is a future, there is a resurrection. That we will enjoy their company once again and that they are already absent from this body but present with the Lord. Let there be nothing in your life that would inhibit that, that we could joyfully declare it without reservation, not because of a baptism, not because of praying a sinner's prayer one day, but because of how you have lived your life. Lazarus lived such a life. There was every confidence in Martha that he would be raised again to everlasting life. And so the challenge is, when I, when I meet with people and they're like, oh, do you have your life insurance and, and, and uh, you know, paid up? And, and, you know, do you really care about your loved ones to have life insurance paid up? And I just kind of smile at it. If you really cared about your loved ones and you really, really want to give them peace, make sure your eternal life insurance is paid up. 
that we have every confidence because of the way you lived and the way you spoke, not only in public but in secret, in, in, in your privacy of your home, that, that your children had no shadow of doubt that this man, this woman, that, that I called mother or father as a follower of Jesus Christ, that I called sister, brother, that I called uncle, aunt, that they were a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. I've gone to funerals where they tried to convince the audience this person was a believer because of a sinner's prayer, because of a baptism. And then I hear what their life was like. And I was like, there is nothing there that gives me any confidence. And you are just giving yourself false comfort. Where is the evidence in the life? Lazarus had that evidence. Martha had every confidence in his resurrection. And so they're weeping in this setting of Lazarus's untimely death. He was, he, he was not an old man. Should have been tempered with Martha's declaration, he will rise in the last day. And I'm hurting, Lord, and thank you for the reminder that he will rise in the last day, but I'm still hurting. And Jesus Christ says, I, it's okay, I am the resurrection of life. I'm not just talking about the last day, I'm talking about today. But when he encounters Mary and the crowd that follows her, and, and certainly when they see her jump up after Martha whispers in her ear and, and rushes out of the house, that they, they oh, he, she must be moving the venue of mourning from the house to the grave And so we should join her because we're here to mourn with her. And that tells you what kind of environment there was in the house that day. It was a house of mourning, not as those who believe in the resurrection, but as those who want to just grieve with no hope in despair. And here we find a reversal. <laughs> Last time we saw, the, the first time we introduced to Mary and Martha, Martha, remember, was the busy one. We talked about that last week. And Mary was the one that was going to sit at Jesus' feet and just listen. And Martha gets rebuked, and she responded to that rebuke. And in response to that rebuke, we find her having this wonderful engagement with Jesus Christ. In the midst of her pain, don't think her pain was any less than Mary's pain, but her faith was better. She went to Jesus with a very similar declaration. She comes and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, and pretty much identical to Mary who comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think that's identical. But somehow, in Martha, Jesus saw a recognition that I am okay, if, but I'm hurting I'm okay with his eternity, but in Mary, his heart was grieved in the manner of her mourning. Even though her statements to him was the same, the nature of her face and her attitude and the inflection of her voice, whatever it was, was different. Words are the same. And you all know that. You know that written language and spoken language are very different, right? I can use the same words and mean totally different things, right? When I was young in this church, this is like when the church was like less than a year old, I said something just offhand. I said, I'm a, I, I looked at my wife, I said, I'm going to take you home and beat you. 
and someone got really upset and I was like, she beats me all the time at ping pong and I was just saying, I'm gonna take, we're gonna, we're gonna play. I'm gonna take you on ping pong. This time I'm gonna beat you. But somebody heard, I'm gonna beat you. Same words, but I'm just playing a game. And no, I've never beaten my wife. In ping pong I have, occasionally. Not a lot, but occasionally. Um, but not physical. But because of their background, they, they heard that. Oh, it's so easy with inflection to be the difference between the same words, meaning very different things. Something in the way Mary presented herself, in the fact that she was still in the house mourning, that people, Martha left the house and nobody followed her. What does that tell you? Martha wasn't weeping like the world. Was she hurting? Oh, she was hurting. She went to her Savior but she went there uh, in faith, trusting him, and with a confidence of the resurrection. What a difference. Mary, though, is at her end. And the, the mourners aren't concerned about supporting Martha because Martha is handling it, and Mary isn't. And as soon as Mary gets up and bolts out of the room, they're right on her heels. Why? Because she needs us. She was mourning like those who have no hope. And so when they come, it says the Jews are with her in her home, comforting her where they saw Mary. She's going to the tomb. They all come with her in verse 32. Um, so when Mary came, Jesus was. Uh, there was a group with her. Remember, Martha's intention was that Mary would have the same engagement with Jesus that she had. She went secretly to tell Mary, thinking this is the best thing for Mary right now. Mary is not handling this well. Um, and the best thing is for her to meet with Jesus privately, just like I did. So we could have this tender time together, because Jesus, help me. But everybody's eyes weren't on Martha. They were on Mary, and Mary ran out of the room. She didn't keep herself composed. She runs to Jesus, and the crowd is with her, and now instead of having an intimate, personal time with him, it's a public event. Semi-public. Verse 33, after her statement, which I am sure with every confidence sounded very differently than Martha's statement, though the same words. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. This is a very powerful verse. I know you think Jesus wept is the most powerful verse here, but no, it's not. This one is. And the one to follow it that we see again, this same statement in verse 38, Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. He was not groaning the death of Lazarus. You don't hear any of that when you are back there with the disciples when Jesus said, um, it's, it, Lazarus sleeps, and I'm glad for your sakes. There's going to be a benefit for you. Right now, there's some hurting sisters. Lazarus had to endure a physical death, um, and, and there's a lot of people hurt out there, but I'm glad it's going to work out. I know the end of this story. So he's not groaning over Lazarus' death. He is groaning over the manner in which Mary, not Martha, and the crowds were mourning Lazarus' death. And in the manner that Mary says, Lord, 
If you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. There's a big difference between that and, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. Now, do I know the inflection? Not exactly. But I know that Jesus' response to Mary was of groaning, of being troubled in the manner in which they wept and in the manner in which they responded, that they wept as those who had no hope. And if there's anything that moves God in his affections, it is seeing men in complete despair. I would invite you to look through the scriptures. Investigate them. See when it is that God relents from his wrath towards people's sin is when they cry out to him in despair. And God has moved in his heart. And God sends a prophet or God sends a judge to deliver them when they cry out to him. Because they have come to the end of themselves and they look at the circumstances around them, they see no light, they see only darkness, they see no hope, they see no way out. And they finally come to God, even in an accusative manner, even in a, in a, uh, a manner of, of, of anger towards God. And, and you can pick that up even in Job, righteous Job, in his response. What have I done, Lord, for you to do this to me? I've been faithful, I think. And so Jesus is troubled as he sees these in despair because he is hope. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the place not only of comfort. This is not just about comfort. This is about hope. And I need, we need to understand that. When the Bible calls to weep with those who weep and, and to to. Uh, rejoice with those that rejoice. It, how do I do that? How do I weep with those who weep? We recognize you are in a place of despair and no one should get there if they believe in God. If you've, you've taken your eyes off of your hope, you've taken your eyes off the resurrection and the life, you've taken yourself, your, your eyes off of the good shepherd. Remember, we just got done with the good shepherd passage. You're not looking at the good shepherd. You're just looking at the wolves. You're looking at the, at the hazards around you. You're looking at the turmoil. And you're not looking at the shepherd that still has his staff in his hand and stands. And this is true comfort. We too often associate comfort on a very touchy-feely basis of, of oh, poor baby. And, and, and there, there's a place for hugs and for crying and for just... Um, but when, when a Christian comes up to a Christian in weeping and says, it's okay. I was trained not to ever say that. In my pastoral care classes at college and seminary, you don't ever walk up to people and say, it'll be all right. Those were the forbidden words. Now I'd like to teach those classes, they go up to people and say, it will be all right because Jesus is our shepherd, and he's good. Because Jesus is the resurrection and life, everything will be all right. 
And in fact, it is all right. Because Jesus not only is our hope for the future, he's our hope for the now. He is the one in whom I trust today, this hour. It is all right. Not it will be all right. And yes, we are often clouded with the affections of grief that hang on us much more like Mary than like Martha. But, and there are some that have a leaning towards one than the other. That's part of your personality. And so we are tender. We are gentle, obviously. Uh, but there has to be, in the midst of despair, uh, a recognition that how can you despair like this? You have a Savior. And if you do not have a Savior, then I'm going to weep with you. Why? Because you need a Savior. Because no one should be in this kind of despair when, when Jesus has come and has died and is resurrected and is today offering eternal life to all who believe in him. There's no reason for anyone to be in despair except that they have rejected him. That is the only reason. And I weep just as Jesus came up upon Jerusalem and he wept over her, crying out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, I've wanted to gather you together as I hand her chicks, but you weren't willing. What is it that's troubling Jesus about Mary and this crowd of mourning is no different than what troubled him about Jerusalem as they stood not far from this site and overlooked Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives few hundred meters from Bethany. thousand meters from Bethany. It is that they are in despair. This troubled Jesus' spirit. And it should trouble our spirit when we see despair. Pastor Maimon shared um, an account of a woman who came in and brought, had a bag of money and came into a clinic and said, I'm giving you all money. And they said, we, we can't help you. Your cancer is so... There's nothing, there's nothing we can do. And she began throwing the money throughout the clinic in the hallway, just throwing it, yelling out, what good is money? What good is money? It can't buy me time. It can't buy me health. What good is the money? She was in despair. And with such individuals, we weep. It should trouble our spirit when we encounter people in despair. Because... There is hope. And shame on a former president for trying to think he is the hope when the hope is Jesus Christ. When we have Jesus, there can never be that level of despair. There should never be that level of despair unless we've taken our eyes off of him. And so Jesus is troubled in his spirit. turn my page, that's why I can't find my verse. He's not troubled by the accusation, if you had been here, my brother would have died, because he already heard that one before. He's not troubled by the accusation, verse 37, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? He is groaning in spirit because of the hopelessness of the manner in which they stated it. And brethren, 
as mature Christians, there should be no tribulation overtake you that you should be looked at from the world saying they have no hope. Even in our darkest times, in our deepest hurts, it should be evident that we have a hope. And so we can come to the Lord and ask him like Job and ask him like Martha, where have you been? Why is this going on? But we can do it in faith, anticipating a response to correct us and to redirect us. But if we go like Mary and like this group in an accusative manner with anger in our heart against God, we are demonstrating that we are not where we should be spiritually with God. We have not engaged ourselves in our our affections, and even our mind, let alone our heart where our will sits to surrender ourselves to God. And this brings weeping on Jesus' face. He's not weeping at the tomb because of Lazarus' death. He's weeping because all the way from the journey from where he met Mary to the tomb, he was hearing all of this behind him and around him. Despair, 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 anger, accusation, despair. You loved him. Why didn't you save him? They misunderstood his weeping. They thought he was weeping over Lazarus, but he was weeping over them. And so they say, oh, look how he loved Lazarus. He's weeping at the grave like us. But no, Christ was not weeping in despair over death. He was weeping over this, of, a, of a believer who's going to be in the resurrection. Sister said so. When your sister says that you're going to be in the resurrection, that's a really good sign, by the way. <laughs> oh, that, that guy, he's going to be in the resurrection. I live with him. I know. That's a really good thing. Here comes Mary and the crowd and, and they confuse Jesus' weeping at the grave thinking that this is about Lazarus' death and, and it's not. It's about what he sees around him that they, uh, who many, I, I have to be convinced that the overwhelming majority of the people there were claiming to be believers in Jesus because that's been the theme throughout John, isn't it? It's the mega theme of John to go from belief to belief to belief. Okay? You know, belief with a little b, belief with a capital B, belief with a capital B, capital E, capital L, capital I, capital E, capital F. And Jesus is looking around in their despair in the manner of the morning shows that they're not there and that makes, breaks his heart. Yes, the Bible says that God does not rejoice over the death even of the wicked. God isn't ever happy people die, even when Jesus says, oh, I'm glad this happened for your benefit. Um, but he knew that the resurrection of Lazarus was very soon on the horizon. And so we find Jesus groaning in himself, troubled and groaning. These sighs were not sighs about death, physical death, these sighs were over the despair, the spiritual death's evidence. It is the stink of spiritual death. Their concern here is going to be, you want us to open the tomb? He stinks, Lord. <laughs> it's been four days. Even in a tomb where it's a little cooler, he's already deteriorated. 
He's already begun to rot. He stinketh, Lord. This is not the time to open tombs up. Um, he's been in the tomb there. And uh, I just want to share with you, the stink of eternal death is despair. It is the evidence that you do not have eternal life. And so when Mary and the group around are weeping and speaking and behaving and looking like they are, when you see Jesus groaning, what is it that causes God to groan but that people are still lost? That they are not where they ought to be. That they are not in a place of faith to trust in the ever-living one, in the good shepherd, in the way, the truth, and the life, and the resurrection, and the door. They're not there And this causes him to groan and be troubled. Even knowing what he's about to do and the impact it should have and will have on Mary. By the way, I'm really hard on Mary this day, but chapter 12 is coming, okay? It's on its way. And Mary is going to demonstrate that she can respond to rebuke just like Martha. Praise the Lord. Okay? So if you have sensitive feelings, you can be fixed by Jesus just as much as the Martha's that are a little tougher skinned. So Mary comes to the tomb with Jesus, with the crowd, and take away the stone. Martha says, "Um, he's been dead for four days. He stinks. She didn't hear what he said earlier. Didn't really settle in. She stills sure that it's about the resurrection of the last day. Her faith is there. She's not looking for a resurrection today of her brother. That's right. Her statement is, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the, into the world, is a statement of faith that's still saying, I'm looking to a future resurrection, and she's comforted by it. So don't think that Martha had comfort you don't have available to you. It is the same comfort. She didn't grasp that a resurrection was about to happen of her brother that day to mortal life. And yet she still said, I believe in you, Jesus, that you are the resurrection of life. Martha says, he, he's, there's a stench, there's a smell, and I almost kind of wish that Jesus would have said, the smell is out here, the smell of despair but he's more sensitive than me. <laughs> and Jesus looks at her and says, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. I love they don't name him there. Uh, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. Remember, this correlates with what Martha has said, and, and that I... I Martha said, you know, then the disciples, all of them, God will hear you. Verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. This is a very important theme from this point forward in the book of John. Whatever you ask, God will give you. Now Jesus, in his public prayer now, uh, makes the same statement. Lord, I know you hear me. You always hear me, but because of the people who are standing here, standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So was the prayer necessary to be out loud? 
No, but he did it for the benefit of the people there. Why? Because that's why he was weeping. He was weeping for these people who were in despair. And it troubled his heart. He groaned in his spirit, literally sighed. And almost every evidence, every stench of despair that penetrated his senses made him sigh. They hurt. That these people have no hope when I, the hope is standing in front of them in their midst with all the power of God at his disposal. And yet they weep like this. They speak like this. They act like this. For the benefit of these people, Lord, I'm praying out loud that this is about your glory. Father, I thank you not a great way. He doesn't start, Lord, is there any way to raise Lazarus from the dead? No, he says, Father, I thank you. Before there's anything to be thankful for, it seems, that you hear me. And you always hear me. And I don't really need to say that to you, but I'm saying it because of these people that I'm just weeping over. They're standing by here. They don't believe that you sent me. Why do I know that they don't believe that you, that you sent me? Because of the manner of their mourning, of their weeping, of their crying, of their despair. Verse 43, now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Did I just read that that way? I did not mean to read it that way. <clears throat> I messed up bad. I'm pretty sure it says he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus! Because he's, he's a dead, you know. He's asleep. You wake up a sleeping guy with a loud voice, Come out here! There is no doubt that if anybody missed hearing the prayer, they didn't miss the command. He who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus says, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. And we all, they're moving from belief to belief. They're moving. They're finally, they're believing the signs, at least, if not the words of Jesus, not the testimony of him. They're moving to another level of belief. And then there's this horrible thing happens in verse 46, but some of them went away. I'm going to stop right there because the rest of it is for next week. Some of them went away. You just saw a man raise another one from the dead who's been in the grave four days and it has no impact on you but to think, I need to go tell his enemies. You see, the, the pathway out of despair has already been opened by Jesus Christ. The despair of this of this crowd and of Mary herself was evidenced. 
Jesus felt it, and he responds to that with, with, with compassion, with pity. And I know we have made pity something that's a bad thing, but it's not. Because these people are pitiful. When people are in despair, they, you, you should cry and weep because it's so unnecessary. We have such a Savior who has opened the doors to all who would believe. I think we've learned that in Sunday school and Sunday night, that that's pretty much what the Bible says. If I was a Calvinist, I'd be weeping a lot because who knows if people are elect or not. Well, it says the door is open. The pathway out of despair is lit. It has been, it has been rendered. It has been leveled. It has been smoothed out. The road out of despair is available to all who will call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ opens that door and throws it open with the light of life and instills it directly into Lazarus at that instance. And you think everyone on the, in the vicinity is going to believe, but they don't. Many did. But some said, we better tell his enemies about this. This isn't right. We can't have dead people getting up and walking around. It's going to disrupt the whole order of things. See, I'm getting into next week already. Got to stop. The pathway out of despair has been made by Jesus Christ. I just want to end by saying it's up to you whether you take it or not. You can reject that path and stay in your state of despair, but don't you ever, ever blame God for that. For we have a good shepherd. We have a savior. We have the life, the light, the resurrection, the way, the door, the truth. He has already accomplished it all. And he simply calls us to trust him. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you again for its power to declare and reveal your power. And Lord, we recognize this morning that we have a Savior. Lord, we do not need to see the dead rise because you have already been raised. And we know that there is a resurrection in the last day. And we know that you are the good shepherd, our good shepherd. And we know that you will work all things together for our good because we call upon you and trust in you. Lord, move us from belief to believe to belief this hour. It is not the lack of of knowledge. It is not the lack of signs. It is not the lack of evidence that keeps us in despair. It is our own choice. Lord, guard us from such a choice. Lord, we thank you that when we are in despair that you feel it with us. And that you weep for those that are lost. Lord, give us such sympathy for men. Christ Jesus' name, amen.